Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi there, welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast. My name is Paul, I'm the host of this podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. We're on episode number 11. I know you're going to love this interview that we have coming up with John Kaplan. He's a coach. He's worked in district office. He's worked with other denominations. He's worked nationally. And we talk about how to engage leaders, how we can create church planting movements. He brags about how awesome Victoria, B.C. is, where he lives. But primarily we talk about the importance of coaching. And that's what this month's Multiply Network podcast is focusing in on, especially in the life of a church planter. We talk about when is the right time to engage a coach, what a coach does, and what are some of the expectations and outcomes that you hope to get from the coaching experience. You're going to love this interview. It's coming up right now. Well, we're super excited today to have John Kaplan join us. He's been coaching for many, many years. In fact, he was one of the guys I first saw that uh, led coaching and uh, made me want to be a coach. And so thanks, John, for joining us on the podcast today. Nice to be with you. Thanks for asking me to be a part of this. Well, you've been a part of this for a really long time as it relates to church multiplication and coaching. And we may get into that a little bit later. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to uh, people who may not know who you are, and it's okay to brag about where you live if you want. Well, uh, well, let's get that out of the way. I live in Victoria where the flowers are already uh, coming up. But uh, I'm married to Donna, have been uh, so for just over uh, 41, heading on to 42 years. We have three daughters, four grandchildren, son-in-laws, which are the joy of my life. In terms of my professional career, I, uh, I served as senior pastor of a place called Terrace, in uh, Northern British Columbia, was there for 13 years. And uh, then after that, uh, when our district made the assistant superintendent a full-time position, I was elected into that position as the first full-time assistant superintendent uh, that was hired as a specialist in the area of uh, church development, mission, leadership development. And so I looked after all of the the issues that were related to that. And um, as part of that, I became a part of an organization called Church Planting Canada, was one of the founding members. When uh, nobody was really thinking about church planting, we started thinking about how do we create a systemic approach to it. And coaching was a part of that, as well as uh, creating networks of people where they could get together and kind of support one another and care for one another and learn together. And so created all of that while I was with the as assistant superintendent and and assessments and a bunch of stuff to do with church planning, but as well, uh, leadership uh, development, church development stuff. And uh, I did that for 13 years. My wife says I can't keep a job more than 13 years. And uh, then for the last just about 12 years, I've had my own uh, coaching uh, company, just a little coaching and consulting business that I I coach people uh, both inside and outside the ministry world mostly leaders of organizations, and um, as well do consulting, do stuff with Berkman, do a variety of different kinds of things, facilitate groups, help strategic planning, that kind of thing. So uh, as it relates to coaching, because that's 
what our focus is for February. Uh, you've been quite involved. I remember seeing the Church Planting Canada uh, website contact John about coaching, about training. So you've you've not only done the coaches, no. uh, you, you know, the coaching itself. You also do training of coaches. So why don't you tell us what what is coaching? Because there's people out there that thinks, well, maybe it's the same as like a sports coach, where you're just telling people what to do. Or what is coaching to you, and why is it so great? Yeah, I mean, the, the coaching metaphor, of course, you know, you think of a hockey coach, I and mean, many people think of like a peewee coach, you know, where the, the guy's trying to get them to skate properly and handle the puck and stay in their position. If anything, in terms of similarity, it's kind of like an NHL coach where you have high level professionals, people that are brilliant in and of their own right. And your role is to uh, focus them, help them, support them. And, and help them uh, discover and tap into their best. And so coaching is really about focusing, supporting, and challenging an individual to kind of clarify their goals, reach their potential, and move to greater levels of effectiveness and fulfillment and sustainability. And so that tends to be the things that I focus on in, in coaching. And um, I mean, I've been involved in this uh, professionally uh, for the last 12 years. I did it as part of my role for probably the last 25, 30 years in various levels of proficiency. Originally, it was more, uh, I was trained in reality therapy, which has very similar protocols to coaching. Then when I went into the district, I used coaching a lot and trained even at most basic level, uh, a lot of people. And I uh, went on to do it for Church Planning Canada, did some of it, trained all of, uh, pretty much all of the coaches in the Quebec district. And I trained a bunch of coaches over in Estonia now. So I've been involved in the coaching rule a lot. So I really love that. Uh, well, I mean, obviously you've got a great history with coaching, lots of experience, but I love what you said about fulfillment and sustainability. And I think there's some church planters, some senior pastors out there going, okay, sign me up now. I want to find fulfillment. I want to find sustainability. Like, why don't you unpack that a little bit more? Because I think that's a great thought. Well, there are two big questions every leader has to ask. What do I need to do to stay at my best? What do I need to do to help those around me be at their best? Right. And you can't do the second without doing the first. Wow. Uh, because a leader's behavior creates the culture of the organization, a stressed leader creates a stressed organization, a frustrated leader, a frustrated organization. Right. So uh, paying attention, I mean, we all know this in terms of our spiritual life. You know, if you neglect your spiritual life, you run out of juice. Uh, but it also goes into areas of what are the things that replenish you? What are the things that give you energy? So when you show up, you're thinking outward, you're thinking long-term, you're thinking about others rather than how quickly can I get out of this meeting? I'm really tired. I hate this job. You know, and all of those kind of self-talk, which is really internal talk rather than focused outward. Right. And so every leader's got to pay attention to those things. One of the books that helped me a lot, and I can't remember the author, but I remember the title called The Power of Full Engagement. I don't mm. know if you've ever read that one, but it's a book about high performers don't manage time. They manage energy. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one thought in the whole book. There's more to it. But boy, that has helped me a lot that yep. I that I try to look at my tasks. I try to look at my day from an energy standpoint. What's an output? 
What's an input? And if I've got more output than input at the end of the week, I need to make some adjustments for the following week. Um, energy is absolutely crucial. And energy comes from fulfillment, right? It does. And also, that is unique to each person. Uh, you know, I use the, the instrument, uh, uh, the Berkman Profile, and it gives us really keen insight into the kind of uh, organizational tasks that you will find energy. Like you, you could do them forever. And then other things that drain you, but also environments like some of us are really exceptionally good with people as long as we have time away from people. So I have to, I've learned I have to be away from people. Uh, some of us are, can really keep up a high pace as long as we have time to think about things and we have breaks in there. Right. Well, I'm the only one that can really manage myself in such a way. So self-management, self-leadership are really crucial. Uh, so being at my best. And that is a really unique pursuit for each person. What gives you energy? What takes energy? Right, right. Different from person to person. Absolutely. And which is what a coach is there to do to draw that out Absolutely. in, in them. Yeah. So you've been in this a while. What's changed in coaching since you've started? Uh, one, uh, it's uh, the fact that actually people are talking about it, thinking about it. The fact that it's become a part of the, uh, the, the, the world of leadership. And probably a lot of that has to do with, you know, the millennials coming up, uh, disintegration of uh, social structures, all of that kind of stuff, where mentoring used to naturally happen from one generation to the X, you know, your grandpa, your uncles, your aunt, your dad, all of that kind of stuff, your, your mom, like all of those people, uh, that doesn't seem to be as prevalent. So people are looking for other sources to help them. And I think also the more collaborative models of leadership over the years, you know, the kind of the guru at the top, the brilliant leader, uh, that kind of has fallen to the wayside. And there's much more of this collaborative environment. So inviting outside help, having people invest in you is considered to be acceptable now where it used to be. Well, what's wrong with you? You know, you're the leader. You should know. Right, right. No, that's a great, that's a great catch because I actually think that collaborative piece is a big part of it, where you're actually the expertise is in your team, not just in one person. Yeah. Person. yeah. yeah. So, uh, when do you think church world really began to embrace this? Because I know the corporate world seems to be on the front end of these types of things. They're a bit more maybe early adopters. When did you see the church begin to kind of gravitate towards coaching? Um. You know that's a bit of a it's it's a bit of a a, a fuzzy starting point. Uh, there always has been uh, this idea of you know mentoring. Uh, there's been this. I mean, you think back to Paul. <laughs> Everywhere he went, he had he had this entourage, and he was sending people out, and he was working with people like Timothy. So there was a bit of that. You can kind of see it in the letters to Titus, where he's talking to a kind of a peer, and he's you know, he's given, uh, he's, there's a bit of that coaching mentoring piece. And then you get, uh, it's a bit different with Timothy, but in, you know, it, we kind of lost a lot of that. I, it probably in the early nineties and late nineties, I noticed it was starting to come around. We started to use it in the district and started training people in it, uh, you know, at a very basic level, not, not anything as advanced as we would probably do now, but very basic levels, you know, in the early two thousands, and it was the, it was starting to be talked about in a variety circle, particularly as we started mapping out what is a a, a a church planning movement look like. And we we said you've got to have coaching or mentoring or something in there 
which allows for the the application of all of this knowledge and uh, in real time. Like how, you know, it looks different when you talk about it than when you're actually doing it. How do you stay brave in the midst of some opposition? How do you uh, keep encouraging yourself? How do you keep focused? What's the next step? Like all of those kind of conversations right. uh, are really essential to church planters Yeah, uh, because they really don't have a lot of structures around them or a lot of people around them sometimes. Yeah. And they just, they need someone uh, who's, who's committed to them, but isn't necessarily emotionally engaged in everything that they're doing. Yeah. And can give that outside perspective, can draw questions, all those things. Uh, I actually saw coaching the first time was when I went to the district office, which would have been 13 years ago now. And, uh, Lauren McAllister, who's the superintendent at the time, said, Paul, you're taking some coaching. I'm like, what's coaching? And uh, just said, phone, phone Dave. And so I phoned Dave and we started chatting. And by the first by the end of the first phone call, I'm like, I want to be a coach. I want to do what he just did for me in an hour for other people. But then I saw it show up in church planting. I didn't really see it show up much in, you know, in local churches. I saw church planters. I saw coaching, you know, Church Planting Canada had coaching, seeing yep. it in the States. Why like, why is it so important? And you touched on it a little bit. Why is it so important for church planters to have a coach? And what happens when they don't? Well, there's a, the, the, the things that coaching does well is it keeps you focused. It keeps you, fo- uh, keeps you uh, supported. In other words, there's always somebody there. That, that is committed to you in a confidential way and allows you to process raw thoughts without having to worry about any of the implications of it, but also helps you come to some conclusions about what you need to focus on now and holds you accountable in a, this kind of supportive, non-structural way, but just says, okay, you wanted to do this. How'd it go? And we can celebrate that. And if it hasn't happened, okay, what happened? What went on? It's, well, I thought I... Uh, you know, I ran into some opposition. Okay. So you ta- you're able to talk it through because people come, they have all sorts of good ideas, but ideas without action never really impact at all. And church planters really need to stay focused and encouraged uh, in order to do it. I mean, those are the two, the two uh, rails that everything runs on. It's this competency and clarity about what I need to do, but also the motivation and the passion to actually do it. And coaching really helps make sure that both of those things stay intact. And sometimes as a coach, all you do is just help them give themselves permission. It's right. like, it's just like, hey, you, you're waiting for someone else to give you permission when you're the one who needs to give yourself permission to go. And that focus and that encouragement, that championing yep. is so critical to a church planter. And... um Things in your head sound different out of your head. That's so When you get them out of your head and you start talking and someone just says, okay, so what else do you need to be able to get this going? Right. Well, I I don't think there's anything else. Okay. So what do you, what's the next step then? You know, so, so when you start talking about it and it, it, it doesn't have the same impact out of your head sometimes as it does in your head. Yeah. It's like, well, this is going to be hard. This is so many steps. And then you, by the time you're finished, it's like four steps, three people. You can have it done in a week. And you think, I've been waiting on this for a month. Yeah. What would you say? Because I hear this from time to time. 
well, I don't know if coaching is work would work for me because I'm more of an internal processor. Like I, I, I internally process. So for me to talk it out isn't really going to help, you know, be that helpful. What would you say to that? Well, my response always to people is everybody does better with somebody walking with them. Yeah. At some point, everything you process internal, you have to bring external. Yes. Wouldn't it be better to bring it external with someone you don't have to worry about the implication of, right. to look at it, process it, fine tune it before you have to go public with it? Because if you're a leader, at some point, you got to go public with everything in your head if it's going to make a difference. That's, that's, that is actually a fantastic thought. I wish I would have thought of that maybe 10 years ago when I started coaching. But no, that is true. At some point, it's all going to be external. And some people, uh, you know, obviously take more time to internally process. I found the people that I've coached who are internal processors, when they leave the session, they actually start coaching themselves. They yep. actually start moving towards their goals quicker because they've taken time to think it through. Or or they'll come back to you and say, yeah, I got to this point and I thought, what would Paul or what would John ask me? Right. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and I use that. And he said it actually worked, you know, <laughs> which That's... is which is exciting because it's that process that right. really is beneficial to people because the outcome is what we're really looking for. Yep. That effectiveness, that sustainability and people's increased ability to act with effectiveness. So where do you see coaching going in the future, you know, as it relates to church world and church planting, church multiplication? Where do you see coaching, and how do you think that's going to help our churches? I think, you know, I think the, the, the where it's going to go is, is that more and more of our pastors are going to learn this. By learning it, they're able to equip motivate and help people fulfill their God-given gifts and calling. Uh, because, you know, the, the idea the pastor knows everything, but tapping into the brilliance of all of the body of Christ, I mean, there is great leaders around us and helping them. Uh, and coaching is a phenomenal skill to help people. Because many people that came to me for counseling were just people that were stuck. And you'd ask them some questions. These were people that were high functioning. They were running departments in their business or their companies, and they were stuck spiritually or stuck uh, at work. And you were really coaching them. You weren't telling them what to do because, like, I don't know what you should do in your job. But it was okay. So let's think this through together. What about this? What 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 do you think? If what would happen? You know, you asked all those kind of what questions. And so I think it's going to become a part of the toolbox and. You know, at some point, I think it'll find its way into our colleges. Like, are you talking about like training coaches? Like, I think the coaching, coaching skills. Yeah, the coaching skills. Whether people become coaches professionally, like me, I, I mean, I developed a training course for Church Planning Canada, and we designed it around people that were never going to be professionals, right? But it's a skill set yeah. that is essential to working with people. And, and so, you know, just integrating it either uh, as part of the college training program or as, as a post-college right. training program for all of our ministers. I think it's essential. I think oh. it will change the way that people minister. Well, we've got two coaches on the phone, so obviously we're going to be very pro-coaching. But it literally is my best discipleship tool that I have. Like, I don't, 
I don't have a tool that's better than learning how to, to lead a coaching conversation. Yeah. I, I remember uh, when we trained all of our cluster leaders, because we had about 40 or 50 clusters for ministers at various, you know, for youth pastors, for church planters, for every, for everybody, basically. And uh, so we we're just training all of our cluster leaders. So here's a youth pastor coaching one of the pastors of our largest church. And both of them, and it was just a training exercise, both of them were surprised at how powerful the coaching experience was for both of them. I can I coach this guy, and he found it really helpful. And the guy saying, "Here's a youth pastor," and he was just asking me questions and following the protocols. And yeah, and he and 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 by the end of it, he had helped me get clarity. It was one of those moments where you thought, and they said it publicly, which was yeah. brilliant because oh, everyone yeah. went, "Whoa." And that's what always happens with, at the first day of training when you, when yeah. you coach and people see it and they start to do it. It's like it opens their eyes. Yeah. Uh, we just did it with uh, some of the brethren in, in uh, Newfoundland. And uh, it, it, they thought it was going to be a day of training. But by the end of it, they were all stoked on coaching because they'd experienced the power personally. And they'd, they'd coached people. And, and they're, it's like, wow, they're helped. Yeah. And it's the difference between, uh, you know, a professional salesman and a satisfied customer. We could tell them coaching is great and it's yeah. all this until they yeah. experience. I remember I did a coaching training. I can't remember if it was for our Bible college students or yeah. some people in ordination. And at the end of it, I actually wrote out seven questions that they were to ask. Yeah. And, and even the questions they were asking, they're just like, it got cool when they started going off script and started getting curious and asking it's yeah. fun to watch. And I think, and maybe you can, you know, maybe you can unpack this a bit more. I think any leader can have these coaching skills. They may uh, not be a professional coach, but you can have coaching skills, right? Yeah, we, we, we you know, in the professional coaching world, uh, there's what we call uh, coaching, which is a professional structured, uh, there's agreements, all that kind of stuff. And then there's a coach approach. In in context where you can't literally say to a person, whatever we talk about is confidential. I mean, if you're a supervisor or a denominational executive, you know, like there's certain places where you have other roles that a lot that you can't say, right. I am going to, this is confidential. You, you just can't say it. Right. But you can use a coach approach to help another person think through what they need to do as next steps. Uh, to bring sustainability, to increase their leadership capacity. You can use this coach approach in in a multitude of contexts uh, where it's incredibly valuable. I think it is one of the key uh, leadership skills in my estimation. I agree. I totally agree. So you've, you've got, you've wore the coaching hat all these years, but um, want to come circle back to that conversation when church planting Canada started, Yeah, uh, you were a part of it. Uh, when when there weren't a lot of books out on church planting, you guys were like writing stuff. I know courses. I just looked the other day, so I typed in top ten church planting books, and and everyone's got a top ten list, and they're all different. There's so much stuff on church uh, multiplication. So I wanted to get your your thoughts on you've you've been in the conversation for a long time. Uh, sat down with lots of different leaders. Let's talk about church multiplication in Canada and what we should be doing now and in the next 10 years. Um, I, th- I think 
these are the things that we focused on at the beginning. Uh, and as a denominational executive, I wasn't interested in planting churches. I was interested in creating a church planting movement. So as a denominational executive, you had to think systemically. In other words, why weren't we planting churches? Here we were, the premium church planting movement, no churches in 1900. Largest evangelical denomination uh, by, you know, in, in, by 19, in the 1990s. You don't get there by not planting churches. What was it about our DNA that, that somehow we lost? Right. And along the way, you know, there's a variety of different things. But going backwards, we, number one, we had to start thinking culture. Uh, we had to start thinking from the very beginning, how do we create capacity for church planting to our colleges? So, you know, we included, uh, you know, our professor uh, at our college uh, as part of, you know, all of the developmental stuff to do with the networks, church planting. He was one of our cluster leaders. And so he still teaches the church planting and thinks about, I mean, it's part of the college, uh, working with our churches, uh, you know, every conversation you had to bring it up. And so it, the thing that the first thing we had to do was get it on everybody's agenda. It's on everybody's agenda. Now you hear it everywhere. The second thing is you have to create systems which allow us to do that effectively and don't have a variety of casualties along the way. So how do we assess them? How do we support church planters? How do we help churches that want to plant churches do it in a thoughtful, uh, sustainable way, get the right kind of leadership so that they, they don't look at church planting and say, yeah, all it does is cost us money and it's a big mess. Rather, they look at it and say, it was one of the most exciting times in the life of our church. We want to do it again and again and again. Um, and so creating thinking systemically is what we need to do as the denomination. So the things that we look for are, how do we create relational networks so that these people are never alone? Because church planters that are alone fall apart. Now, we did that multi-denominationally because we found that church planters with, uh, they, they all had the same issue. So putting church planters with church planters, multi-denominational, seemed to work well because they were all talking about the same thing. So that helped. Uh, we, we wanted to make sure that they had strong prayer support. So creating prayer networks around them, creating places where they would be prayed for, looked after, that kind of stuff, worked at that worked at the training piece and also the coaching because training uh, theoretical stuff is really important to kind of get your mind in the right space. But when you start to put it in practice, things can get lost. Okay. So what about your timeline? Where are you at in your timeline? What's the next piece? Do you see, you know, making sure that people kind of stay focused and don't get distracted by the millions of opportunities that can distract you, the, the shiny things. And so, you know, that systemic approach, I think, in the next 10 years, it's going to be more and more integrated into uh, all of the way that we, we, we do stuff. But more fundamental is uh, it'll become a part of the culture once again so that we, you know, at this point, all the leaders are saying we need to plant churches, we need to plant churches, executives are saying we need to plant churches, we need to plant churches. But pretty soon we'll start to hear churches saying to other churches, when are you going to plant a church? That and and that'll be that'll be when culture shifted, and we're starting to see some of it. Yeah, where churches are talking to other churches and they're saying, "Hey, are you you know there's a community down your road? I, there's no church there, right? What are you thinking about with that one? Do you want to work together? Because we're you know coming from the other ends, and we started to see some of that when you know remember I've been out of uh, the district life for the last ten eleven years. Church planning Canada, I, I was up to about two thousand eleven. 
and um, but you know, I still work with church planters and overseas. I work with helping uh, uh, yeah. denominations kind of rethink how they plant churches. So I, I, I'm a little bit out of it, but still in it, you know. Yeah, and but I th- coach church planters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which keeps you in it. Yep. Like walking with their everyday stuff is uh, is going to keep you. <laughs> it's going to keep you fresh, uh, especially on the front lines of stuff. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying yeah. to build a culture with the Multiply Network, with podcasts and uh, you know resources and all those things. But at the end of the day, it's it's got to be that personal relational connection, and our districts are yeah. starting to get on board with that. And it's it's exciting to see. Um, yeah, we're we're trying to build the language into our culture that a fully you're not a fully revitalized church until you've planted. Yeah. So we. We, we, we use language back in the 90s. I, I started talking about, you know, everything that's healthy reproduces. So once right. you're healthy, the first, next thing you think about is how do we reproduce? You get tired of just doing us and you're thinking, okay, what else can we do? Well, church planting is the next one of the next steps as well as impacting, you know, the province, the, the country, the world. Uh, it, you know, that's kind of one of the next. Everything that's right. healthy reproduces. Right. So one of the systems that we're looking at as a group, and we've chatted about this, John, you and I, and, and uh, is leaders. We're having a hard time finding leaders that will step out, do the entrepreneurial plant, or churches that would release their best leaders to go start a new work. Um, why don't you help us think through some of that as it relates to how do we enroll people in uh, leadership as it relates to church planting leaders and how do we encourage churches to send their best to go start new works? Well, what I say for organizations is everything exists in its present form by common consent. There's a reason why it's like this. What we have done is we've highly valued uh, effective large church pastors. I mean, you know, and so Everybody aspires to that. Or if they come through a college, they aspire to be a professor. So part of it is we have to start uh, making heroes and opportunities for church planters and people that are effective to have uh, uh, apprentices there to start to build, uh, uh, you know, that reproductive capacity comes when you, because everybody produces after their own kind. If you're a good teacher, you produce teachers, you know, if you're a good church planter, you'll tend to produce church planters. And so um, part of that is, you know, we've got to get a few of them going, but immediately have within it this kind of uh, apprenticeships, uh, uh, mentorships uh, of those uh, successful church planters with others so that they start to reproduce after their own kind. Um, The second thing is... um, generosity isn't limited to money. They found with church plants, church plants that came from mother churches where the mother church was excited, celebrated it. The the mother church recovered all of the people and all of the money within six months to a year. Wow. When they released people. That was the statistics back when I was looking at it. Wow. And what it's, you know, it's that biblical principle. You know, if you sow seed, there's a reaping that comes. That generosity of spirit, you know, you cast your bread upon water, it comes back to you. 
there's a sowing and reaping that goes on when you're generous, not just with money, but with resources, with your people, and you know, giving your best people. You know, in church, what you find in local churches is there's a there's a sucking up from the bottom of potential leaders into new positions when you give away some of your best. Yep. That people that you are surprised, it's like they were capped because there was people above them, all of a sudden step in, they're doing new things, they're excited in a new way because they get this opportunity to do something. Like everybody seems to do better. Yeah. When but it's got to be celebrated. They found when churches were begrudging, it's like, oh, I hate this, you know, we're giving away our best people and it's going to cost us money and we're going to suffer for a while. Those ones struggled. But the ones that were were joyful givers uh, recovered and seemed to have more energy at the end of it while having multiplied and having a church plant that seems to be doing really well. Yeah. Wow. This is like, this is, this is so good, John. Like I'm just sitting here going, I hope I'm, I'm actually going to have to go back and listen to some of this stuff uh, as it relates to my job and trying to implement some of these things. Great, great thoughts. Want to leave you with uh, some room to kind of speak to our leaders, uh, church planters, church multipliers, both in our POC tribe, but outside what's in your heart for Canada What's in your heart for church planting and coaching and how it all connects? Just wanted to give you a, a chance just to speak candidly uh, to the group. You know, when I, I, the big thing that I would see is that as a, a Pentecostal movement, even larger than that, rediscovering re- the first love that we had in the beginning of our movement. What did we do at the beginning? We planted churches. We sent missionaries. I, I, I read the obituaries uh, of many of our early pioneers when I was assistant superintendent as part of our conference, and it was, and uh, you know, brother so and so, brother Bell, you know, he pastored this church, but he planted A, B, C, D, E, F, G church. So and so went and was commissioned by. Uh, Central Assembly and D.N. Buntain or one of the Buntain brothers and was sent off to plant a church wherever the Lord would lead them. (laughs) You know, this was kind of our beginning. And it was a part of a Pentecostal mindset, which was the power of the Spirit came to give us power for service and power for witness. Yeah. And we as a movement, I think there's a bit of a rediscovery of what it means to be Great Commission in entirety, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria. And part of that is part of our pastors uh, rediscovering what it means to see the harvest, to engage the harvest, to to get beyond our, our local structures and think first about we exist to bring the good news of Jesus to every creature, every tribe, every every strata of society. And so that piece, I think, is a, is a cultural piece, and I, our leaders are talking about, but it's a, it's a rediscovery of, in, in our culture yeah. that wherever we go, we're always thinking about how do we best reach these people with the good news of Jesus, because that's why Jesus sent us. Right, right. And so how do we do that? Now, uh, in terms of w- one of the key strategies, we found this with, uh, and it goes to this coaching, it goes to church planting is one of the rules of every one of the, you know, whether you believe in all the fivefold are still there, you know, all of those kind of conversations, but they were to equip people. 
Right. In other words, our job as leaders is to help people discover everything that God has for them, to release it, to empower it, to coach it, to support right. it, to train it, so that everybody in the body of Christ can fulfill their God-given destiny. And when we do that, we find that there's all of this corporate energy, this corporate vitality that needs expression beyond just what we're doing here in our building yeah. or in our little community. But, but things is always thinking, you know, what else can we do, Pastor? What else can, where are we going to go? You know, I think God's calling me to this. It creates an environment yeah. where the Spirit of God is able to uh, uh, empower people and they feel empowered by the group of people that they're a part of yeah. to step into things that they never stepped into before. And church planning is part of that. I love it's, that. Yeah, that's a great thought. I was read, I'm reading a book called Underground Church, and they talk about this one example of uh, there was a neighborhood football game, and whoever showed up got to play. And uh, and But then they would go to a Friday night high school game, and only a certain amount of people got to play. And lots of people watched. And then I got to college and even fewer people played. And even and sometimes the bigger you get, the less people actually get to go and play and actually get to be in the game. And I think sometimes in church culture, we've created that where we've got lots of spectators. And getting them back in the game is one of the most important things we need to do. When I was uh, pastoring, one of the things uh, through a lot of pain and, and uh, some really difficult circumstances, I came to a uh, a very firm revelation that m- my primary job was to help everybody in the body be successful of what God called them to, starting with my staff, uh, all the way through to everybody else. And I, ha- I had to help them find what God had for them. And when I did that, I, I, one of the things I found is when people stepped into the things that God had called them to and they were gifted to and passionate about and felt energy when they did it, what happened was uh, they were happy. Like they, they were the most fulfilled. They would take time off work, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Didn't want to miss a weekend because they would miss their, you know, their, their, their teenagers in their class, you know, like all of those kinds of things. And that's part of this great commission mentality where we tap everybody in the body of Christ to be released into the gifts that God has for them and the callings upon their lives. And so, you know, that, that's, it, it's it's work. It's a change of of a focus. You start to see people that do stuff way better than you, which can be very threatening for leaders. And again, coaching helps us. You know, so you know how do you maintain your role? Because the more you understand who God's called you to, and focus on that, and help others focus on other things, better off everybody else is. So so good. Well, we're going to end our podcast with uh, some rapid fire questions. So uh, get ready. Best book on coaching. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, probably the book by Flaherty. What's, do you know what the title? At this moment, I can't remember the title. You caught me off guard. Okay. Sorry. Well, if you come back, <laughs> what you don't see in the podcast right now is he's looking at his bookshelf, trying to figure out what, what book it is. Uh, actually, you know, the one that is, is probably uh, the one that's inspired the most people. And I think it's a kind of a foundation is coaching for performance by Whitmore. Okay, good. Favorite activity in the summer? Uh, hiking and camping. Okay. Favorite fast food burger? Uh, probably bin for. Okay. I've never heard or, of that. Or in and out in the United States. Oh yeah. That's a good one. 
podcasts you listen to other than uh, Multiply Network? Uh, further up and further in, it's done by my daughter. Oh, okay, cool. The place everyone must visit in BC? Obviously, Victoria. Okay. Uh, favorite sport to watch? Uh, I've always been a fan of uh, of soccer. And your favorite soccer team? Well, probably Man U. Okay. Favorite downtime activity? Uh, fixing and building things. Oh, cool. How, uh, your, your wife probably loves that. She does, and so do I. Yeah, cool. How many countries have you visited? Ballpark it. Uh, about between 25 and 30. Wow, good. Uh, and what was your favorite place of the countries you visited, the country? Well, I was in Israel 14 times, so Israel's special for a lot of reasons. Yeah, cool. Uh, but we really liked Mallorca. And where's that? It's one of the Balearic Islands off of uh, Spain. Okay, cool. Uh, when should someone plant a church? When? As soon as possible. Okay. And how soon should they involve a coach? Uh, before you start. Okay. Hey, John, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us today. Great stuff. Very helpful. And uh, thanks for doing all the great work you do with coaching and in the area of church multiplication. Thanks for the invite. It's always good to speak about something I'm passionate about.